You're listening to the NFL on TuneIn. It's No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Josh, we appreciate the time. None of us are lawyers, but we respect your opinion. Do you think Ezekiel Elliott could wind up taking the NFL to court to try to stay on the field? It's very similar uh, on the surface to to the Tom Brady fight, which had to do with you know the, the commissioner's uh, power under the, the personal conduct policy and the the way that the arbitration is run and and the what the absence of of compelling evidence that that would you know we we would see fit in a in a criminal trial that obviously has not happened here and and the. Just the the sort of vagaries of of a policy that, you know, you say it's a a six-game policy for domestic violence, but we saw Josh Brown with the Giants last year got one game. And the mitigating factors don't seem to be uh, working in the NFL's favor here in terms of why this suspension was longer. And uh, I think when you're, you know, you're talking about six games of of a career, you know, of a season that's almost half a season, that's, it's a big chunk of time. It's a big, a big chunk of of money and and everything else. And and so I I think that they will explore every option of fighting this before, you know, accepting the the suspension. I don't know that it'll go as far as the Tom Brady one went. I I think they're, you know, perhaps on an appeal, things get knocked down and and everyone agrees to, to move on. But I I think that there's a real chance we're going to see another one, another court case and, and suspensions being, you know, held up and, and all the same kind of stuff that we saw with the deflate case. Yeah, that conversation is, is, is result-based, uh, especially when it comes down to going to court uh, to try to get a result that's a little bit less than six suspensions. I think that's why I would go to court to try to figure out if you don't have to be gone for six games. But I want to do the balancing act thing. How do you find a level of consistency throughout the National Football League when it comes to the personal conduct policy, even though it's set for six games when it comes down to uh, – you know, those types of actions, you know, putting your hands on another female or what have you. But how do you do the balancing act of being consistent when it comes down to laying down the rules of of how do you deal with these personal conduct issues? I don't care if it's marijuana. I don't care if it's DUIs. Uh, when it comes to domestic violence, is there a one way of doing this? Because I think the uproar is how does he get six game and this guy get it cut down to four? He get it cut down to three. Like, how do you gauge that? Yeah, I, I think that is the essential question Cordell is, is when you don't, uh, when you use your own investigative practices and, and those aren't obviously entirely transparent and you use your, at some point, it seems like the, the, you know, just a judgment that's being made. There's been no conviction. There's not even been an arrest in this case. And so with that being the case that if you're not using that as the baseline that a, a player needs to be, at least, you know, arrested and charged with a crime before there can be a disciplinary action. And you're not going to use this, you know, they they have all of these different options available to them that we had the exempt list with Greg Hardy and Adrian Peterson. And then, you know, now we see six games for Elliott, one game for Josh Brown last year. Uh, Another guy may be accused of something and get no punishment at all because the case gets dropped much in the same way that the Elliott case got dropped. And that, there, you know, are there other factors? Are there other issues? I think that the the whole thing lends itself to confusion rather than clarity. And if you're trying to balance it out in terms of fairness, I, I don't think there's ever going to be a totally fair way because every case is different. And if you try and put them under the same umbrella, 
you're, you're inevitably going to run into these issues of saying, you know, how come this guy gets treated differently than that guy? And I don't think the NFL has shown much interest in, in really explaining those things themselves. There's the occasional leaks to reporters, but there's not really any, any sort of consistency from Roger Goodell or, or anybody in the league office when it comes to how these cases get dealt with. And, and I think it just opens the door to continual legal challenges about it every time. Going around the league with Josh Alper from ProFootballTalk.com. Josh, based on Marshawn Lynch and Michael Bennett sitting for the anthem over the weekend, if the NFL believes that there's a big portion of their national fan base that finds this kind of social protest to be objectionable, because we heard some theories that ratings might have gone down last year based on Colin Kaepernick, could you see the league emulating what the NBA did years ago in the wake of Mahmoud Abdul Rauf's decision to protest the anthem and come up with a league-wide policy that you have to stand for the national anthem? I, I don't. I don't see that being the outcome of this, and I. Okay, I think that it's it, it, it is particularly at this point in time. You're, you're then asking for off-field issues and political issues and, and political statements to, you know, to overshadow the league in a way that the league would, I'm sure, prefer not to be the case. I think that the league would prefer not to have to deal with this at all. And that if there's a team that might want to take the step on its own, that that's, I think, more likely than a blanket uh, edict from the league that everybody has to stand. I, I think that that would be, that would be problematic for the league at this point. Some of it going into the same issues we were talking about with Elliot, that uh, I think there would be fights about it and that you're going to, you, you were going to have to negotiate that into a CBA at some point. There, there's, there are player rights involved here that would have to be a part of any discussion. And I just don't see that being worth the fight for the league to, to give up other things to the union to, to get this. I, I don't see that drop being statistically significant in terms of attributing it to Colin Kaepernick last year. We'll see if the ratings continue to drop this year, perhaps that'll change. But I I think with no political, excuse me, no presidential election, we'll see if, if those kinds of ratings drops that did reverse themselves to some extent after the election was over last year, if those things remain the same, I don't see this being an issue. The league offices don't want to press. When you look at the NBA, um, I think because these guys' contracts are guaranteed is why they can be a little bit more outspoken, okay? And LeBron James even mentioning something about the president and mentioning something to the extent of saying this is make America great again, huh? You know, with everything that's taking place in Virginia. But yet he's outspoken because I think he's afforded the opportunity to because he doesn't have to deal with the ramifications of, of saying something, let's just say, quote-unquote, air quotes, out of bounds, but in the National Football League, not all these guys' contracts are guaranteed. I mean, so many people on the outside looking in want the National Football League players to take a stance, but then when the stance is taken, you know, that, that contract may be taken away from him. Look at Colin Kaepernick. He goes from saying he wants to take a knee uh, and understanding what he was trying to do, which I think is commendable for him to do that. It's, it's, I think it's a great thing. But now he wants to get back in the game, and now it's a slippery slope. How does the National Football League – deal with this because now you have uh, Michael Bennett, uh, you have Marshawn Lynch. Does this give Colin Kaepernick the opportunity to get back in the game because you see players like this taking the same stance that he did, but yet they're in the game, but yet he's on the outside looking in. 
Well, you know, I, I think that it, it's it, it, that's the part where then it you know it, it becomes easy to to talk about the you know football value of a player, and that obviously Michael Bennett and, and Marshawn Lynch are seen as more valuable players to their team than than Colin Kaepernick might be, despite the fact that he plays quarterback. But I I, I think that. I think there is space for players to speak their minds. I think Michael Bennett does it very well. I think he's an excellent example. I, Chris Long and Kyle Long, who are both from Charlottesville, said really thoughtful and meaningful things this weekend about what was going on. And uh, I think we need more of that from players. And I, I like that. I, I like when you hear players say that and don't pretend that the world ends at the, uh, at the start of the, you know, at the, the sideline and, and that their whole life is just within those, those, boundaries. I, I think that social media has led to a lot of that and, and I think it's going to continue to and, and I think that that is a good thing but I, I do think that Kaepernick drew so much more attention to it with the you know the socks and, and about uh, you know with police officers as right. pigs and yeah. and t-shirts with Fidel Castro on it that he amped things up quite not, you know, quite, uh, he knew what he was doing and he wanted to make these things an issue and he's made them an issue and he's done a lot of good things with his money to help support the issues he believes in. And I, I think that the idea that anyone would discourage players from speaking out and doing what they believe in because uh, of the, of they're going to lose their job, it, you know, it, it might happen. And it, it's really unfortunate what's happened with Kaepernick and, and it, kind of boggles the mind that he hasn't gotten a, a chance to play for a team this year. But I, I don't think that the two things are, are going to be totally hand in hand. I, I don't think that every player is going to get treated the same way. And, and for Kaepernick, that, that doesn't work out so well. But for other players, I, I think it's going to be just a, a bigger part of the the landscape in, it's a, a bigger part of the landscape in the United States over the last year. I, I'm 40 years old. I've never seen the United States like this in terms of right. political engagement. And, and I, I think it's ridiculous to think that the NFL should be any different. Josh Alper, ProFootballTalk.com, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Josh, let me take you to Pittsburgh. We're now at the stage where we're closing in on the kickoff of the start of week two of the preseason. Still no Le'Veon Bell, and he does not need the preseason, probably doesn't need training camp either. But other than expressing his frustration over the franchise tender, is he going to achieve anything by continuing to stay away? It, it doesn't look like it. It, it. The Steelers have taken a, stand, uh, a public stance that he's hurting himself by staying out and that they're not there's nothing they're looking to do. And really only the only things they could do at this point would be to add money to uh, his contract or, or a clause that says they won't franchise him again next year. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he gets, he gets anything really to gain from, from this, but I think that this is the dance that, you know, we've seen so many players do Eric Berry did it last year with the chiefs and he did wind up getting a long-term contract this off season I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the case for Bell um, in Pittsburgh, but I, I, I just, you know, I think that if you don't want these situations to happen as a team, you need to work out a way to not use the franchise tag or figure out a way to get that player signed. You, you knew that this issue was going to be coming up and it sort of played out in slow motion all year. And, and there was a brief flurry where it looked like he might get a deal before the deadline, but there never really seemed to be any push for that. 
And, you know, from the Steelers' point of view, you, you had to know that that meant Bell wasn't going to be here in August, and certainly not for all of it. And for Bell, you know, if it's frustration, if, uh, you know, a little bit of a, tan- a tantrum about, about the way that he's, things have played out, that, that was just sort of coming the whole time. And, and I think that when he shows up, everyone's going to put, you know, put all things aside. And, and if he plays well, it's going to set, you know, set an interesting question for the Steelers again next year. And I think we're seeing it for more teams that the franchise tag is, is good for keeping a player from leaving for another team, but it doesn't really solve the issue of making sure that everybody's happy and on the same page. Let's go out to the Rams. Uh, Jared Goff. Uh, he just had the opportunity to get one of, I would say one of the better deep threats in the game when he's healthy and Sammy Watkins, uh, you have Sean McVay who comes in with the mindset of his offense of saying we got to use our pieces. Now let's say you have Todd Gurley. There's conversation of them starting to run the football. Uh, do you see this year changing uh, for Jared Goff when it comes to his production and in, in the outside sound or noise of maybe he's now arrived into the National Football League? Would that change compared to what he's gotten this past season? Yeah, well, I think the biggest change from that point of view is he, he's the quarterback now, and, and there's none of, you know, none of the, the stuff that Jeff Fisher said last year about, I mean, really, really sort of over, over most coaches you see in terms of Goff not being ready because it, it was a bad team with the first overall pick who was a quarterback, and, and Case Keenum was your starter. And so the fact that Goff wasn't playing ahead of him uh, – reflected badly on Goff and then anything that didn't ha- you know, that went wrong when he finally did get in backed up that idea. Well, he, uh, obviously he wasn't ready. Obviously he can't play. This guy's a bust. Uh, it was a few games into his career and, and far too early to make that judgment. But I think now you have an offensive minded coach who wants Goff to be good. It's going to only help Sean McVay. If Goff is good, it's going to only help less need. It's going to only help that, that franchise not have to worry about filling that position. And they've gone out and they've gotten players who can help. They, you know, Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, um, obviously getting Todd Gurley back in shape, getting the offensive line together, signing Andrew Whitworth at left tackle was really big. And, and I think now you're putting Goff in a position to succeed rather than saying, all right, Goff, go out and succeed with, with spare parts around you. And, and so if it doesn't work out, I think the Rams are going to have to think long and hard about, where they're going at quarterback, but I, I think that they've given him every chance to succeed now, and, and I, I would expect there to be better results as a result. Josh, as always, we appreciate the insights. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes again today on the NFL on TuneIn. All right, have a great day, guys. You've been listening to No Huddle with Brian Weber and former Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart live on the NFL on TuneIn. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The National Football League is on. Tune in.